0: the benefit of the doubt, which is a fresh way of looking at faith. So good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live or whether you're live streaming, I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, and, and I'm always so glad to be able to in, engage with you, however you're engaging with us, whether you're live or live streaming. I just hope that when I engage with you, I'm a little bit engaging Today's message, the final message in the series, the benefit of the doubt, it's called when you're disappointed with God, when you are disappointed with God, and it does come from Scripture, as our messages here do. If you have your Bible with you, uh, I want to invite you to find John chapter 11, the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. And and uh, some of you have a Bible that looks like mine. It kind of looks like a book. And others of you, your Bible is loaded on your phone. Either way is okay. And if you don't have either of those options, that's okay as well, because the words are going to be up on the screen at just the right time. They always are. And this is one of those messages. It it's, comes from primarily from John chapter 11, but we are gonna do a little bit of jumping around. You'll be glad for the verses that are up on the screen. And uh, you, may, you may know quite well, or you may not know at all, a couple of things that we believe in this church about the Bible. And, and one of those things is just a fact that's often overlooked, and, and it's this, that this looks like a book, but the Bible fundamentally is not a book. Not a book, it is a library. It's a collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a long span of time. And this is the vital thing to know. In multiple writing styles, when we're in the Gospel of John, it's the section of the biblical library devoted to biography. Four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one subject, Jesus. And and that's just a fact a lot of people don't know. We're also going going to be looking briefly at some of the songs that are in the Bible songbook, but not book, is library. The other thing that we believe about the Bible here is that just moves from that into that realm of, of fact to treasured conviction. And when I say what I'm gonna say, you may not be, stay with me. You may not believe it yet. You may be wrestling or, or you may be like, yes, finally someone says it and believes it. And, and it's this, in leadership here, We believe there's no other library like the Bible. We believe that God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. We actually believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, there comes this custom that when we talk about the Bible together at Good Shepherd Church, we lift it up. And if you've never been here before, you never tuned in before, and there's phones in the air and Bibles in the air, you're like, these people are unusual. And we admit it. We try not to admit it. and Then we just, it's just much easier to admit what's true. This is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we are a collection of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. And because we know he does, we're glad to surrender to his authority. Amen. Before I say another word, let's pray. So God, thank you for the Holy Spirit who breathed life into the authors of Scripture, including John, including those who wrote the Psalms, and thank you for all of that. And, and God, I also uh, I, I thank you that when he finished inspiring Scripture, he didn't rest on his laurels, but he's still moving, he's still active, he's still alive even in this room and for those within the sound of my voice. And I pray he'll be especially alive in me and through me. I'm powerless without you, Lord. But because of you, I'm never helpless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here is the thing about this series that we've been going through, The Benefit of the Doubt. And the, the thing is this, that throughout these series, we've, we've dealt with doubts that people have about God's existence. We've dealt with doubt that, that, that doubts that people have about Jesus's relevance. But in spite of dealing with all those doubts, I don't think we have dealt with the doubt that most of you feel the most acutely. And what, what I mean is this. A lot of you are pretty sure that God is. Like atheism may be cool in some circles in the world, but you're not really down with atheism. And, and in fact, that's that's why you're here at church because you're not really peel back all the layers you're not an atheist and 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 so you don't really doubt that god is and and for a lot of you you don't really doubt that jesus is relevant in fact you you move beyond the idea that jesus is relevant and you think he's actually decisive and so when you hear me say things that i often say like jesus is lord and there is no other you you not only agree but you get a little bit emotional because you believe it too so all in all, the, the first part of that dinner time prayer that so many people pray doesn't really bother you. God is great. It's the second part that you struggle with. God is good because for a lot of you at this stage of your life and at this stage of your experience, you believe that God is great, but you kind of doubt that God is good. You believe that God is able, you're just not sure that he's willing. You believe that God can, you're just not sure that he does. You you believe that God is fearful, you're just not sure he's available. Yeah, you believe that God is great, you kinda doubt that God is good, and if you doubt me, For saying that, think of it this way, if God's goodness actually measured up to his greatness, he never would have created mosquitoes, come on. (laughs) If his goodness measured up to his greatness, he would not have created rats, there'd be no such thing as acne pimples. He would not have created male pattern baldness, the heartbreak of psoriasis. None of us would have ever been subjected to those commercials with two people in side-by-side outdoor bathtubs, none of us. If God was as good as he is great, you'd still be married. If God was as good as he is great, you never would have married that person in the first place. If God was as good as he is great, you would have a house full of kids instead of mourning an empty cradle. If God was as good as he is great, no one would have ever called you that name. If God was as good as he is great, you would have never been subjected to the indignity of being judged because of the color of your skin or the land where you were born or the language that you speak. If God was as good as he is great, there would have never been a 9-11 or a war in Ukraine and Tyree Nichols would have made it home in Memphis that night in January. If God was as good as he is great, You wouldn't have all these unsettled issues in your life. You wouldn't have gone through the sadness you have gone through. And so I guess we could say that for the purposes of today, you don't really doubt God's goodness. You don't doubt God's existence. You're just very upset with his job performance. You're disappointed with God. And after that reality that so many of us feel, and some of you are like, is a preacher really up there saying that we don't doubt that God is great, but we do doubt that God is good. And in light of that reality, that leads us to not one, but two almost hidden lines in what in Bible circles is kind of a famous Bible story. Now you may not be familiar at all with the Bible and that's okay, but in Bible circles, the story we're fixing to look at in John chapter 11 is pretty well known. And there's two lines just kind of snuck in there that are absolutely fascinating. Because here's what's going on in John chapter 11. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry on earth because John chapter 12, all the way through verse chapter 21, that just takes the last week of Jesus' life. So this is one of the last things that happened in Jesus' life before his last week begins. And, and while Jesus is out in the countryside doing his ministry, he gets word that his close friend Lazarus is sick and, 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 and dying. And so the word comes to Jesus. We need you to come to the town where Lazarus is. We need you to help out. Oh, by the way, Jesus, we've seen what you do. We'd like for you to heal him. And and then look what happens in verse six of John chapter 11. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately raced to where Lazarus, no, it doesn't say that, does it? So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Oh, we wouldn't want to inconvenience you now, Jesus. Your best friend is just sick and dying, but we wouldn't want to get in the way of your pre existing plans. And so, Jesus, with this crisis all around him, he ends up taking his sweet natured time making the way from where he was to where Lazarus is. And in those two days, in his two days of dawdling, and we don't know what Jesus did in those two days, but in those two days of dawdling, Lazarus dies, like dead. The the real thing, Lazarus is dead. And so when Jesus comes strolling into town, Two days later, than he should have come strolling into town, Lazarus's two sisters, Martha and Mary, they run up to Jesus and they give him a talking to. It's amazing what they say. And the two sisters say the exact same thing to Jesus, which is fascinating because some of you know this, others of you don't, but here's the reality that anytime the Bible, the uh, the biblical authors repeat the same line two times, it's the Bible's way of saying, pay attention to this. This matters, this means everything. And look how it begins in verse 21 of John chapter 11. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." And verse 32. "When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died." Such bravado. We might might say, what nerve these sisters have because hidden kind of between the lines, Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Sort of reading between those lines, Lord, Lord, you could, but you didn't. You had the power, just not the availability. Really, what's going on there is these two sisters are saying, Lord, we do sort of admit that you are great, but in this moment, we do not experience you as good at all. And I have to think the bravado of that, the nerviness of that is what we're supposed to notice in the story because Jesus' response which is always the most interesting thing in a story involving Jesus. Jesus's response to these two women is so interesting. When they're all nervy with them, when they show so much bravado with them, he does not banish them. He doesn't rebuke them, he doesn't punish them, he doesn't ignore them. Instead, something about their bravado and something about their nervy conversation, something about their raw authenticity, their willingness to vent their frustration with him. Something about all that touches Jesus deeply because the great part of the story is that he ends up giving them what they'd wanted all along, which is a living brother. Because look at what it says in verses 44 and 45 of John chapter 11. This is after Jesus has said, Lazarus come out, verse 44, the dead man, that's Lazarus, the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. And the key to the whole story is Mary's willingness and Martha's willingness not to hide from Jesus when they're mad at him, not to run away from Jesus, not to ignore Jesus, but the key to the story is their courage and their willingness to vent their frustration with Jesus, to Jesus, and to learn in the process that they're venting doesn't mean that he's leaving. And so here's the good news for all of you who've ever been disappointed with God, who are disappointed with God right now. And get this, good news for all of you who have ever been told by people, well, you can't question the Lord, and you believed them. Here's the good news that we get from this story, that God would rather you mad at him than hide from him. Yeah, our Lord would rather you mad at him than hide from him. He prefers your anger over your isolation. Because he doesn't punish us, he doesn't rebuke us for that former, for our anger. He becomes deeply distressed at the latter when when, when we abandon him, when we isolate from him. Every one of you who's going through one of those hard times, who will go through one of those hard times, who did in the past, God would rather you mad at him than hide from him. And this whole story leads to this what I think is a fascinating implication, not only for Jesus as our savior, but for the Bible as a library, because we we learn that that Jesus isn't threatened by our questions. He's not annoyed by our disappointment. He can deal with all of it. But maybe more to the point, the the way that John tells the story, because you know, John didn't have to include Mary and Martha sort of giving Jesus a talking to. He didn't have to do that. that. Lazarus was gonna be risen from the dead either way, but John included it. And that lets us know, that gives us this window into something that is so remarkably true about the biblical library. Think about it, Good Shepherd. That we at this church, you may not believe this yet, but we at this church, we believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. Yes? We, we lift it up as a community, yes? We, we prove our oddity collectively by lifting it up, yes? We, we believe that God put his truth into its words and poured his spirit out into his pages. We believe all of that. And yet this same inspired library is filled with people, venting their frustrations and asking their questions of God. In fact, you, if you know how to read the entire biblical library, it is so filled with people shaking their fists at God when he lets them down. And if, and if you doubt me on that, you're like, no. No, I was already told you can't question the Lord. No, that's not. in. The, if you doubt me on that. L- look at what happens in Job chapter 1 and verse 20 when Job loses Everything says this, at this, Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head and tearing your robe in ancient I- Israel. That was a way of venting all of your anger on all of your frustration at God. Psalm number 13, the 13th song in the songbook of the Old Testament begins this way. How long Lord will you forget me Forever, How long will you hide your face from me? You're like, that's in the Bible? It gets better. Psalm 44, verse 23 and 24. Awake, Lord. You are sleeping on the job. Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and our oppression? In Psalm 88, verses eight and nine, you, songwriter says to God, you have taken from me my closest friend, you have made me repulsive to them, I am confined and cannot escape, my eyes are dim with grief, and that, Psalm 13, Psalm 44, Psalm 88, that's just a fraction of what I could have shown you from scripture because over and over in the pages of scripture, there are people who feel more than free enough to question God, they don't question his his existence, they just question his job performance. You You are God, you're just not a very good one anymore, over and over and so now, when you have people tell you, well, with great certainty, you can't question the Lord, Now you have a great answer for them. You say, oh, you can say, oh, tell that to all those people whose questions of the Lord made it into the Bible. But think about it even even further. What does this tell us about God? If we believe that God really inspired Scripture, and we do, what does this tell us about the nature of God? It tells us our God is so emotionally secure. That he's willing to inspire works that question his own job performance. I mean, tell me another leader of any organization who's like, fine, I don't care if people question me. Let's put it in the permanent record. I love having my abilities be questioned like nobody. God's not like that. God's like, I will breathe life into all of people's anger at me, frustration with me. I will allow them to question me and I am so emotionally secure, I will guarantee it is in the permanent record. Can you imagine, can you imagine what it'd be like to have a God who is emotionally immature? I'm so glad we don't have one. See, I think that, God not only allows it, God includes it in his scripture because he knows that even if we won't always get the answers we're looking for to the questions that we ask, there's something healing. There's something cathartic, to use a fancy word, about getting those emotions and getting those frustrations out because that's when God can send his healing in. Because I think the authors of... The Bible, they were, they were on to some modern psychology stuff. Long before there was modern psychology stuff. The, the authors of the Bible knew that if you don't express the emotions you have, they will come back to oppress You. That emotions aren't right and emotions aren't wrong. Emotions just are. And if you don't have any sort of outlet or any sort of vehicle for getting them out, they will come to own you and they will come to control you. And when you take that combination of what's good for us psychologically with the kind of emotionally mature God who can take it, who encourages it, it all allows the authors of scripture to ask those questions we didn't think that they could ask and to vent that sort of anger that we didn't think it was appropriate to vet. And now you know differently. Now you know that when you believe that God is great, but you doubt that God is good, God much prefers you to be mad at him than hide from him. I know in, in my case, it's, it, it's a little been probably less anger with God and more frustration with God. And, and that's sort of typical, because I, I mean, I get mad sometimes, but I'm not like always running around with the, you know boiling temper, just, just getting ready to explode. It's just kind of not my makeup, but I'm frustrated all, all the time. And in, in my dealings with God, my frustration, and this will not surprise people who know me well, and might shock those of you who don't, My, my frustration with God would really have to do with sort of other ministries or other platforms or other pastors who kind of had a a, a higher profile and more cachet. and, and, And I would be like, Lord, what are you doing? We're good at Good Shepherd, but they're great over at A, B, and C. And it's not like we're not trying. And it's not like I got something sketchy going over on the side here. What's the deal? Why can't you catch us up? And, And you know what has happened over the last three or four years with ministries and platforms and people A, B, and C just sort of over and over again? Failure. Implosion. Fall. And every time God God is like, see, it's not so bad being you, is it? All you're comparing is just robbing you of joy. That was an answer I needed, made possible by the frustration I was venting. God would rather you mad at him than hide from him. I love the the way that this author named Philip Yancey, who actually wrote a book called Disappointment with God. I love the way that he puts it. It goes this way. One bold message in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God Throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your... By the way, if you don't know about the book of Job, the book of Job is chapter one and two, Job loses everything and then he spends 40 chapters talking about it. There, I gave you the book of Job. (laughs) Your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment, he can absorb them all. As often as not, spiritual giants of the Bible are shown contending with God. They prefer to go away limping like Jacob rather than to shut God out. In this respect, the Bible prefigures a tenet of modern psychology. You can't really deny your feelings or make them disappear, so you might as well express them rather than them oppress you. God can deal with every human response save one. He cannot abide the response I fall back on instinctively, which is... An attempt to ignore him or treat him as though he does not exist. That response never once occurred to Job. To that good stuff, I would say hallelujah and amen. God would rather you mat at him than hide from him. At this stage, I need to give a, a quick pause. I want to make sure you do not hear what I am not saying, especially for those of you for whom complaining, I don't know, might be second nature. Maybe you're a little too good at counting up all the things that have gone wrong and you don't have any skill at counting up what's gone right. And, and for those of you, if that's, that's one of you, I've got three questions I want you to ask yourself and I think they are important enough. We're gonna put them up on the screen so that you can either take a picture of them or jot them down. The first question that I, that I want you to ask yourself is this, are you as diligent in counting up his provision as you are at nursing your pain? Are you as diligent and as serious and as skilled counting up all the ways that God's been good, his provision, as you're at nursing your pain? Second question. By how much does your level of blessing surpass your level of obedience? By how much does your level of blessing surpass your level of obedience? And if you say, "Ah, oh, not much," you know what I say, liar. <laughs> Third question: Do you put a period where God has put a comma? Do you put a period? you say, "This is over, this is the end." where God has put this is a pause. this is a new beginning. Do you put a period? where God has put a comma because that's what Mary and Martha did in John chapter 11. They put a period at Lazarus dead. Lazarus is dead. Game, set, match. This is over. I'm putting a period here. And Jesus comes along And Jesus puts a comma where the sisters had put a period because Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, comma, but I have shown up and he will rise from the dead just like all of those who will die in me. Yeah, have you put that period and God's brought you here today to let you know that Jesus puts the comma because here's what I know. Here's what I believe. Here's what you're going to discover. That for every one of you who believes that God is great, but you doubt that God is good. When you realize, when you're liberated by the truth today, that God would rather you mad at him, that's okay. Then hide from him, that's not. I think you're going to, all of you shaking that fist at God. I think you're going to discover that in his vulnerability, his divine vulnerability, the way that God allows you to question him and his activities and does not rebuke you and does not reject you, that in all that you will discover that God is good. Very good indeed. And what was a shaken fist is just a prelude to a lifted hand let's pray so God thank you that you can take our anger you prefer our anger to our isolation thank you for that and I pray that this truth would liberate those who are disappointed with you even if we don't know what answer you will give we know the healing that you will give us in asking the questions Do that, Lord, and in that we will discover that God is so good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.